Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Hey, Mike. You ready for episode 21? Episode 21 already. It's almost hard to believe, Wendy. That's right. Right. We've turned 21. Our, our podcast can legally uh, consume alcohol in the United States now. That's That sounds good. I, I, think, I think it's ready for a beer. How have you been? I've been excellent. Since I, was, I saw you yesterday. Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I was uh, just basking in the afterglow of a really fun show on Saturday night. And that so, was a blast. Yes. Yes, indeed. So it's good to get out uh, to the good people of Racine and play some of our new songs for them, talk about the podcast. Um, it's interesting now that we're doing the podcast that um, the people that know about it will come up and, and, and say like they've been listening and, and mention that they have some weird stories. Yeah, I love that. That's great. And hopefully it'll help us collect some cool new topics to cover in the future. Yeah, and it, it wasn't... You know, Saturday wasn't much of a place to collect new stories because it was loud. You know, it wouldn't be like, "Hey, let me record this." It was right. it, it was more like, you know, let's let's have you on or write an email or something like that. Sometime we'd love to feature your story on the show sometime. And yeah, and who knows if people keep doing that, maybe we'll have to start setting up like uh, the confessional booth. You know, like like on those reality shows where the people go in and just talk to the camera. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure if we started doing that shows, we'd we'd get some in- interesting stories and um, some colorful language. Yeah, yeah, that's as true. Well. It's kind of a not the ideal environment, but but I think that'd be great. It's it's nice to be. I mean, it's nice to be known as like the we've always been the weird a weird band, but now we get to be the weird band. <laughs> um, as we talk about these things and and yes. that becomes part of what we do. So I think that was a lot of fun. And uh, no, I was just thinking about that today. So it's just a nice thing and a, a little um, side effect of working on the podcast in addition to um, playing music. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to meet more new people. Um, that's always fun and exciting. And something cool happened last week that might help us with that. What's that? We, uh, we Our podcast made it into the new and noteworthy category oh, on iTunes. It, it did. I hardly even noticed. <laughs> it was in the um oh society and culture um category so perhaps some new people will hopefully find us because of that and um if you are a new listener well hello and welcome yeah well, welcome welcome to the other side <laughs> we're, we're happy to have you here and we're also really happy to have anybody who's um subscribed at any point along the way we've been doing this since halloween of 2014 so Still, still somewhat new, but um, just having fun with it. And, and thank you to everybody that's been subscribing and leaving uh, reviews on iTunes because that certainly helps us get higher in the rankings. And um, it, it, it looks great for us, and we, we absolutely really appreciate it. Uh, in fact, I, I do believe we have a, a, a new five-star review uh, that we're going to have a little song for today. Is that right? We sure do, yeah. Okay, well, let's check out this awesome five-star review from Dante De La Roca. I'll admit to being a long-time sunspot fan. 
that was fun. (laughs) And if you like our podcast enough to want to leave a five-star review, please do because you may just get a song. Well, you will get a song at some point (laughs) made out of your review. So thank you, Dante De La Roca. And anybody who wants to leave a five-star review gets a song that can be you. And you can go easily do that if you don't want to have to do the search through iTunes and everything. You can just go to othersidepodcast.com slash iTunes and it'll lead you right there. That's right. And one more quick announcement before we get into the exciting topic of the day. You can always find the show notes for whatever episode by going to othersidepodcast.com slash and the episode number. Today's episode is 21. So go to othersidepodcast.com slash 21. You guys can figure that out. I know. Right. We have a very, <laughs> a very intelligent listener base is what is what I believe we have. Yes, but we'll have the links and everything for for items that we talk about here today. So if you're curious to find out more, you can go there and uh, follow through and explore the topic on your own. And the show notes are great too, I think, because it's a it's a good way for like further for further reading. It's a bibliography, a lot of the sources of what we talk about, but it also. Um, is a great way for you to explore more of these topics on your own. So if you find something that you really think is interesting, like last week's uh, podcast interview with Matthew Swain, like it was a link to his book right away and that you could pick up his book and and grab it for yourself. And today there'll be links where you can see more and learn more about Stonehenge. Ooh. Yeah, that's, you know, Stonehenge is always fun because, you know, even when you're a little kid, you think of this mystical wonderful place on the other side of the planet like just in this field you know salisbury plain yeah and nobody knows how it was created or when right they have have an idea of one but it's a great lost kind of thing you know imagine you know we don't have too many of these things we have um some Native American stuff. We have a lot of Native American stuff here in the U.S. In Wisconsin, particularly, we don't have anything in particular. We have some Indian burial mounds that are really cool. Um, but you don't have anything like a, a huge stone structure to be like, yeah. how did this get here? What happened? Um, right. And that's what makes it cool, the fact that it's it's a mystery. And, and everybody has a million guesses as to what it could be. And, and there's people that have uh, dedicated their entire lives to the study of Stonehenge and what it could have meant uh, to Britain. And um, I I just think it's really, I think it's really neat. And well, Wendy, you've been to Stonehenge, right? So yeah. uh, What are some of your, what are are some of your impressions of seeing these megaliths (laughs) in person? 
Well, it was really cool. Um, now, I was quite young, so I was in fourth grade when my family was on a, a European vacation. Okay, right. <laughs> um, and I was very excited about it because as a someone who's always been really into the King Arthur stories and legends, you know, I had read a lot about it and just thought it was generally the cool thing. Um, but when we went to visit it, it, like we had to walk on this trail that was kind of not very close to it. Okay. <laughs> so... I mean, it, it was neat and it was it was cool to see it in person with my own eyes. But it was like, oh, you know, because I was thinking we'd get to go walk around inside it and stuff. But you get and, to lay down on a slab right in the middle. Yeah, I wanted to like walk through one of the little doors and stuff, but that that was totally out of the question. So, so it was neat and it's it's impressive, a very impressive sight to see. But um, I guess I, I that's all the impression I really have yeah, I've, that I still remember. <laughs> I've heard the same things um, from people I know that have gone. They've said like, well, you're kind of, it's, it's fenced in and you're, you're, behind, you're pretty far away from it. So you kind of yeah. see it, but you don't get that feeling of the, the, the majesty of right. being inside this. Because this they have to protect it because otherwise, you know, humans are jerks and they'll probably destroy it. So. Right. They do something crazy with it. Like people would have parties at Stonehenge. All the, You'd be like, well, who wants to have right. a party at Stonehenge? I do. I do. I want a party at Stonehenge. Um, and, um, when I did my grand tour of the UK, that was the, uh, one thing that I skipped was going to Stonehenge. Oh, okay. I, I wanted to have something, a reason to come back in addition just to, you know, that I'm in love with, uh, uh, British culture. It was, uh, a reason to return and an excuse to be like, well, I got to see Stonehenge this time. So yeah, we, yeah. we got to go back. <laughs> That's always and, good to have one one more reason to go back, right? Yeah, I think so. You always leave them wanting more. And so right. that Stonehenge was my more. <laughs> and I look forward to that sometime. But just to go through a little history of the site. Um, I mean, the Stonehenge is from the Neolithic period. And Neolithic, I mean, means New Stone Age. So it's, uh, it's that period between about like 10,000 B.C., and uh, five to two thousand BC. So people at the time um, in the you know the Stone Age they call it the Stone Age because they were using tools made of stone. This is before they started smelting metal. It's you know it's before we had right. the, you know the kind of tools that we would recognize as not just I mean the modern age the tools are our tools are way way out there, but even the tools of you know an axe with a you know. Yeah, they- with, they're working just with with items they find in nature, basically. You know, they're not like forming steel. Right. They're they're putting stuff together, um, what of what they find, and those are the kind of tools that created just getting into farming, just getting into those types of things. Um, you know, they're they're domesticating animals, dogs, sheep, ghosts, all these things for the first time, and um, basically the beginning of uh, what we would you know existence as we know it. And so that's the kind of fun is that. Um, here is not just a relic, but a structure, a building, a, a, pl- a place that people considered important from the beginnings of human civilization. And that mystery of it is, is probably what has kept Stonehenge in such pop culture um, for the past, I mean, hundreds of years. It's been in everything. You know, we'll talk about the movies and the books and, and everything like that. But let's just talk a little bit about, about the history of Stonehenge and uh, you know how it was originally built and everything like that it's um the the megalithic structures so lithic stone 
we're going back to some of our Greek here. Mega, huge. So that, that's that's what it's these huge. that's what these are. It's 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 a big circle, a megalith of uh, these gigantic stones, and they come all the way from Wales. Now, if you haven't, uh, if you're familiar at all with the geography of Britain, southern England is on one side of the island, and Wales is, you know, real far to the west on the island. So the stones that they used came from a couple of hundred miles away. And that's part of the big mystery because... Yeah, how do you move them? <laughs> how do you move these gigantic stones hundreds of miles? It's not like you have a truck. They just, just throw them in the truck. And then how do you lift them up? And, and that's the real thing when they're, when they're making something yeah. that's 2,500 like years the ago. It's the same kind. It's, it's exactly like the pyramids. And so uh, it's a very impressive ancient structure and, and that's kind of what what people were getting into and they're trying to figure out exactly what it was used right, for how and why <laughs> and so um you know one of the most recent theories is that it started as a burial ground for uh the not an aristocracy but important families around 3000 bc because they found lots of cremated human remains uh, around the site Oh, okay. And so, and but they found them, and they were from around 500 years before the Stonehenge we know today was even erected. Huh. And so, one of the recent theories is that it's a graveyard, and they found several structures on the inside. They found oh, like relics of a wooden Stonehenge inside the, the oh, stone that's Stonehenge. Cool. I never heard that. So, yeah. And um, part of it is that there used to be several structures amongst it, and people think that it was a, a big site, not just you know the the rocks we see today. You think of a bunch of druids hanging out, um, like having a human sacrifice, like on a slab in the middle of Stonehenge or something like that. But it seems like it was just more of a center for it could have been could have been religious. Um, it could have been a place, you know, a place where people came and they said goodbye to their uh, ancestors and things sure. like that. But a place um, of prayer, gathering, yeah, who knows, remembering. And there's an another theory in, in this latest study that's come out that um, this guy named Parker Pearson, and he says that during the this time it was when the tribes of ancient Britain were starting to trade with each other, starting to get together, starting to unify a little more than they had in the past. So instead of small tribes and villages and more families, uh, families being isolated and hermetic, um, they started to get to know each other. And his theory is that Stonehenge was a building project that united people from all over the island. Interesting. So that they'd created this place like in a central location. They brought these stones over from Wales. And it was kind of a, like a camp. And, you know, people, people would get together and celebrate the fact that uh, Britain was unifying for the first time. I think that's kind of a, that's kind of a cool thing. There's also the idea that it was um, used for astronomical kind of stuff. Because there's a certain, they call them avenues, 
like <laughs> these little you know roads um, or path pathways that lead to like nearby rivers, and one of the pathways from from the stones that leads out lines up directly with the sunrise at the summer solstice and the sunset at the winter solstice. Okay, that's cool. So there was some thought put into they didn't just randomly pick a, pick a spot and draw a circle and go, hey, drop the put them here, guys, come on over. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually calculated. Exactly. So that's why they thought it was an, like an astronomical observatory because it did match up with these, uh, you know, with with the different solstices or solstices. <laughs> solstice. I, I, I guess I don't know. Yeah, it's the solstice. Um, but that's one of the thoughts uh, around it. But also. You know, people think of it as a gathering place during the solstices. So if you think of it like, you know how in Sturgis they have bikers come every year? Right. Like a um, pilgrimage. Yeah, it's, it's a place, you know, they think it might have been a place where everybody would get together on the solstice to celebrate. That's cool. So unifying Britain and everybody comes down to Stonehenge to camp out, party, yeah. like a like the Burning Man, like a, like a Neolithic Burning <laughs> or Man. Or kind of like Mount Rushmore on the 4th of July or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where people go uh, a certain time of year to have a celebration, a festival, and of course during the the autumnal equinox and everything, they'd be celebrating the harvest. And since they're just getting into farming, it's becoming part of human culture. So th- there's some cool ideas about what Stonehenge could have been, but like anything, it's just a guess. It's right. scientists doing their best to guess about what it could have been. Yeah, it's it's amazing there isn't that they haven't dug up some documentation or who knows like a book or something well the thing yeah. is <laughs> a stone tablet anything you know like <laughs> yeah well i mean one of the reasons that um we have so much of the history of egypt and we understand it in something similar like the pyramids is because they had that written language and because they had um you know they kept records of their religion and their pharaohs and everything and they wrote everything down but they didn't do that in ancient britain and when people envision the druids and everything well druidic culture didn't even really develop until a few centuries before the roman occupation of british isles so it it's not really it's probably not really like the druids didn't just use it it wasn't built as a as a druid they temple. found it and then they're like whoa this is sweet let's go here <laughs> yeah let's go let's Let's have a big oh, rave yeah. at Stonehenge. <laughs> so they and, they might uh, not have known its origin either. They just discovered it. and Right. I doubt they... W- I mean, they could have had some legends and stuff, but I doubt... I mean, we think about it today. From the time Stonehenge was bu- built to when, you know, five even 500 BC is the time of us till the second century. So think about how much we know of the second century. And, it's, and we have written language. And they don't. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, it was just as a big mystery to them. Um, you know, it was a big mystery when the Romans showed up as as it is to us today. And so that's one of the fun, like Stonehenge is just a mystery. And that's why it has so many books and, and weird things associated with it. It's always had some kind of uh, folklore associated with it. Uh, and especially its connection to Arthuriana mm, and King Arthur. Indeed. So, you know, maybe we should talk a little bit about the books that have used, you know, Stonehenge as a, as a sure. place or a plot point. Yeah, that's kind of fun. And I know, Wendy, one of your favorite books talked about it a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's there have been many, many books uh, that I <laughs> enjoyed. 
Um, where should we start? Well, I think we should start with the King Arthur stuff oh, and yeah. talk about the Mists of yeah. Avalon. I mean, definitely. The one one that I can remember very clearly was um, Mists of Avalon. I mean, that, that location played a central role in the story. So they would have... Now, it's been a long time since I actually read that. So... <laughs> Sure. <laughs> but it, I remember right. enough of it that, um, you know, it was kind of like a secret gateway and they'd, they'd go down there and different things in the story would happen there. So, so. Sure. Well, I mean, one of the things is, is that um, there's a folktale about Merlin being the creator of Stonehenge. Oh, Merlin. And in just case you don't know who Merlin is, he was the wizard uh, who helped King He's Arthur. The Gandalf of and, King Arthur legend. <laughs> yes, he is. And. Uh, the, the folktale, and it's, there's a great like picture. Um, it's like a tapestry from 1155, and it shows Merlin with a giant, and the uh, Merlin's uh, having the giant move the big rocks on Stonehenge, and like putting the you know puts That's the big cute. rock on top of it. Yeah, and they drew this this tapestry about a giant helping Merlin <laughs> build cool. Stonehenge. Imaginative, I like it. Yeah, and and one of the you know folk tales is that it's um it's a giant circle, the giants circle is what they call it, and that the the giants were there and they were frozen, and they became the rocks of uh, what became Stonehenge. In the folk tale, though, he they had um, Merlin had the giants carry the stones all the way from Ireland, which, I mean, I guess would be even tougher than carrying it from <laughs> Wales because. You have to carry it across the sea, and you know, I I, I don't know that uh, giants can swim that well, especially with tons and tons of rock. Even if, even if they're pretty badass. Well, maybe they're they're so tall that they uh they can walk across and still be above water. <laughs> right, they could be that. I guess if you're going with the Merlin theory, <laughs> let's go all out. That's about as good as any. One of the, one of the most famous books that talk about it is Thomas Hardy's. Tess yes, I'm a huge Thomas Hardy Hardy fan. Well, um, he makes he makes reference to the echoes and the resonances within Stonehenge in the novel, and uh, you picked a little section from the novel. Do you want to do you want to read that for sure, us, Wendy? Yeah. So the the quote is: "The wind playing upon the edifice produced a booming tune, like the note of some gigantic one-stringed harp. No other sound came from it." At an indefinite height overhead, something made the black sky blacker, which had the semblance of a vast architrave uniting the pillars horizontally. They entered carefully beneath and between. The surfaces echoed their soft rustle, but they seemed to be still out of doors. And they refer to it as a a temple of the winds, because the wind, as it blew through the, the stones, would make this kind of eerie sound. Okay. And then you also picked, speaking of that, the, the Temple of the Wind. Yes. Yeah, um, that's funny. Um, the Name of the Wind, which I recently read, the Patrick Rothfuss. Which is a fine Wisconsin author, if oh I've ever read one. And I'm in the sequel right now, and so I'm, I'm still very deep in the story. <laughs> yes, and it's great. It is. Um, so yeah, they refer to what they call waystones in that story, and they describe it exactly as, you know, two pillars with a long stone laying across the top of them and they have great significance in the story they play a, a, a big role in many of the scenes within there so that's another fun reference yeah and the idea of stonehenge as almost a musical instrument mm-hmm. a place creating a mystical sound um that's interesting because some sound experts have gone to stonehenge and one of the one of the suggested uses they had for it was an amphitheater 
because they say if you, you play music or sing there, then it has the very acoustics of an amphitheater. So that, that circle of stones uh, creates a kind of a hall of sound. That's cool. I would love to do a concert in there <laughs> or attend one. Yeah, I think playing playing Stone I think playing Stonehenge should be one of our one of our goals. We'll see if we can get the British government to let us set up a couple of amps in there and see, see what happens. We can call the concert Rock Rock the Henge. Yeah, right. It's a, it's rock henge. it's 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 literally a rock concert. Oh. Hey oh. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be here all week. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, so, I mean, Stonehenge, there's a couple of famous references in so books. So many of them, yeah. And um, yeah, backed up by the science. But uh, Tess Uberville's and getting into talk about a little bit of, of the movies that have used Stonehenge. Ooh, yes. There are many of those, aren't there? A really good one is uh, from the late 70s. There's a version of Tess Uberville's done by... Um, Roman Polanski and starring Natasha Kinski. And so in uh, that movie, uh, they actually built a life-size replica wow. of Stonehenge in France. That's a project. What so, is, I wonder what they made this yeah. out of. Styrofoam? <laughs> I mean, probably. And right, something quick and something fast and something that people could carry, like regular set guys. Like paper mache. But um, plenty of movies have, have used that and so they've built models of stone of stonehenge and, and everything and were they to scale mike that one i can't tell <laughs> but speaking of scale oh good you got my transition that gets probably the the one of the most famous and dearest to my heart personally uh, stonehenge is from this is spinal tap <laughs> and i re i rewatched that so scene funny. uh wh- where they're actually in uh, it's supposed to take place in Austin where they're, mm-hmm. he's talking to the lady that designed it. And what now, if you guys haven't seen this is spinal tap spoiler alert. Sp- number one, it's a spoiler alert. <laughs> number two, you should be renting that even, I don't know if anybody rents movies anymore or, but renting it or buying it off iTunes, or whatever, as soon as and Netflix, as soon as you're done with this podcast, uh, you should watch this is spinal tap. Cause you have any interest <laughs> it's so in great. the stupidity the stupidity of musicians. Spinal Tap captures every little piece of it. And it just holds true. Like, it's not aged or anything like that. It still completely applies. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because the, the story that inspired the uh, Stonehenge moment in Spinal Tap is actually based on something real that happened to Black Sabbath in 1983. So Black Sabbath in 1983, Ozzy Osbourne's been out of the band for a while. Ronnie James Dio came in and he's out of the band now. So they get Ian Gillen, who is the singer from Deep Purple, you know, Smoke on the Water and uh, Highway Star, My Woman from Tokyo, songs like that. And they're going to call it something different, but the manager, who was Sharon Osbourne's father, demanded that they keep the name Deep Purple because he thought it would sell more records. And he was right, because the album they put out with Ian Gillen, which was called uh, Born Again... Uh, was the highest charting Black Sabbath album they had since 1973. And it was funny. I mean, the, the cover of the album is just, it's, it's pretty disgusting. It's a, a newborn baby painted red with like yellow fingernails and, and two yellow horns sticking out of his head. And it's, it's, it's pretty gross. So on the tour for that record, uh, they're getting together in Birmingham and uh, getting the stage all together. 
and somebody asks if, if anyone has ideas for a stage set. And then the bass player, Geezer Butler, suggests Stonehenge. And the engineer asked him, well, well, how do you see it? And he goes, life-size, of course. And they built a life-size Stonehenge. But it was too big <laughs> for the place they were rehearsing in Birmingham. So they couldn't even rehearse with it until they got to Canada a week before their opening show in Montreal. And Ian Gillen talks about it in an interview. And he says, on the last day of the rehearsal, we're wondering what this dwarf is doing hanging around backstage. When we do the dress rehearsal, the dwarf emerges in a red leotard, long yellow fingernails, and little yellow horns. He's going to be the baby from the album cover. (laughs) Then we hear this horrendous screaming sound. They've recorded a baby scream and flanged it. And suddenly we see this dwarf crawling across the top of Stonehenge. Then he stands up as the baby scream fades away and falls backwards off this 30-foot fiberglass replica of Stonehenge onto a big pile of mattresses. Then... Dong, dong. Bells start tolling and all the roadies come across the front of the stage in monk's cowls, at which point War Pig starts up. By now, we can see the kids are either in stitches or wincing in horror. And the whole debacle of the thing is that it took $40,000 a day to put this massive production on. And um, it was completely ridiculous and completely stupid. So that's the direct real-life inspiration for that scene in Spinal Tap. And the Spinal Tap reference is um, particularly relevant because there's a venue in Milwaukee that we've played at that has, well, it's called Shank Hall in reference to this is Spinal Tap. And they have the little tiny Stonehenge is like a backdrop on the stage. So (laughs) it's great. Oh, my. I completely forgot about that. (laughs) I completely forgot about that. So they right. So even in, in Milwaukee... They've got that little piece of Stonehenge that right there. So it's integration um, with the music world is, is very near and dear to us. Yes. You know, um, Stonehenge also is an important part of King Lear. Oh. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a scene in King Lear that takes place in Stonehenge because the actual story of King Lear, even though... Um, a lot of it, it's, they're portrayed in Victorian clothing a lot of the time. The, it's drawn from the myth of Lear of Britain, who was a pre-Roman Celtic ruler. And uh, Laurence Olivier in 1987 made a production for the BBC that took the story back to that pre-Roman age. And so they really brought Stonehenge into it in, in, that, in the pre-Roman days and that's a that's a really cool look for the Laurence Olivier version of yeah. King Lear if you want to see um, a good a good replication of Stonehenge. And so that that's something that I thought was great. I I spent a whole semester on King Lear in college. That's a lot of time on King Lear. That wow. is that is a good deal of time on King Lear. They also have a little bit of it in Shanghai Nights. Do you ever see that one? I have not seen that one actually. Okay, that's Shanghai Nights. You get the buddies of Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson. Okay. And um, Sounds fun already. Yeah, it takes place in Victorian England, and there's a little steampunk twist to it. Um, Stonehenge is a little bit into it. They, they crash into it, and somebody says, who the hell would put a pile of stones in the middle of a field? And uh, Shanghai Nights has a little bit of it. And then everybody has probably seen National Lampoon's European Vacation. <laughs> Yay. Right, that's uh, gloriously stupid. Yeah. Um, the first one is great. They're all they're all pretty funny, but uh, and we know, always come back to like the Chevy Chase 
or I guess the the National Lampoon's movies. Yeah, because we were talking about um, Randy Quaid before, and anyway, it just seems to be a recurring theme on our show. Right. <laughs> but how is Stonehenge? Oh, yes, that scene was so funny. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it this one either. But Stonehenge plays a very key role in that movie. So uh, you can find that scene on YouTube too. But they have a the Griswold family has a vintage, uh, visit to Stonehenge that goes hilariously poorly in National Lampoon's European Vacation. And it's great because that movie came out shortly before my family did our European Vacation. So. Oh, was was yours just like it? Exactly. <laughs> a lot of roundabouts, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's true. But anyway, no. So uh, those are just. I mean, well, here's a couple just quick ones. Uh, there's a movie called Night of the Demon out in 1957, and that one they prevent a, a sacrifice going on at Stonehenge. Ooh. And uh, 1957, so it's family safe probably because the scariest stuff in 1957 is like the tamest stuff. Like you can see it on the <laughs> yeah. Disney Channel today. True. And a couple of years ago, they had a cheesy B movie called. Stonehenge Apocalypse. And in that one, the mysterious ancient monuments of the world come to life. Uh, And they just used Stonehenge probably as a name because it's one of the ancient monuments of the world. So it's kind of ridiculous. That's cute. Yeah, so those are just some of the film portrayals of Stonehenge. And it really, that has been, I mean, part of our culture. So to think about this, this Neolithic monument on the other side of the world is something that everybody knows mm-hmm. um, and just because it's, it's used in so many things and in TV my favorite show used Stonehenge twice uh, wow yeah and that's what, what show is that Mike that's Doctor Who <laughs> which is the of course the, the best um, <laughs> and I've made a couple of Doctor Who pilgrimages in my in my life but uh, so back in the 70s they had a season of Doctor Who called The Key to Time, where the Doctor and his companion Romana searched out uh, through the universe for six segments of this key that would uh, have power over time and space. And one of the components of the key was a rock of Stonehenge. So um, the episode's really called cool. the episode's called The Stones of Blood, and in everything in Doctor Who is of blood, of death, of nightmares, of something. Huh. So it's not just that, but some of them, uh, some of the uh, the rocks at Stonehenge actually come to life and kill people. <laughs> so, in with 1970s special effects too. 1970s British fabulous. 1970s British TV special effects. So it looks like it was made in a basement. Of course. But you know, to my young mind, it was like, oh my God, Stonehenge! The rocks yeah. are alive and they're cosmic. Yeah, it's like the rocks that talk in um, Labyrinth. Yeah. It's much like that, except Labyrinth, they looked cool. They looked way better. And in Doctor Who, it looked like this styrofoam rock was walking towards somebody and murders you. And then Doctor Who used it again uh, for the season finale of the fifth season or the fifth series, the Pandorica Opens. Okay. And so the Pandorica was this mystical box that could, a prison that could hold... It was specifically made to hold anyone, and, and nobody could escape from the Pandorica. And the Pandorica was located beneath Stonehenge. Aha. Uh-huh. So. Seems like a good spot for it. Yep. And so the doctor has like a last stand on top. Of, he stands on one of the rocks in Stonehenge, and there's all these alien ships above him. Sweet. And he calls out to the alien ships to come and get him. 
and um, waits for them to come down and start attacking Stonehenge. Uh, and it's just a, it's a really cool scene. So that sounds cool. As far as as far as TV stuff, those are my favorite TV references uh, to Stonehenge. Cool. I'm sure there are many, many, many more. Yeah, if you I mean, think of any. Let us know because yeah, because we can only talk about so many. Um, it's fun to think about them and just kind of recount how many times it's appeared that I've seen at least. Right. And another thing that I love about anything huge and mysterious made in ancient times people are going to have conspiracy theories about. Right. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, one of, the, one of the first theories is that it wasn't giants that built Stonehenge. It was aliens. <laughs> that just like they built the pyramids, because there's no way that our, our small-minded ancestors, our, our, tiny, our tiny-brained ancestors, uh, could have dragged these gigantic stones yeah. from Wales 200 miles to the Salisbury Plain. Sure, and England. aliens would have the tools to do that. Sure, aliens could just use a tractor beam. They just show up, grab with their tractor beam, pop it on over to Salisbury Plain, drop it off, and go get the next one. So in uh, it's a little bit of Chariots of the Gods right there. Pretty cool. And that they talk about Stonehenge was one of the... Uh, number one, it was that because it lines up with these solstices... Sure. Is that it's an astronomical observatory so that the ancient Britons could then keep track of the aliens flying around that had visited them and oh, created cool. and created Stonehenge for them. That's nice. I like that story. Yeah. And or theory or whatever. <laughs> you know, and, and looking around on the internet, I mean I, I, I found some things with people talking about you know, Stonehenge is a place where the Anunnaki, who we remember from right. the lizards that rule the world. What was that episode? That was, I think it was episode three. Yeah, that was our election day special. <laughs> that uh, the Anunnaki built Stonehenge as, a, as one of the places where the Illuminati could gather. So they, they, they have conspiracy theories about that too. You know, I, I don't really know how much credence I put on that because uh, the article I read about it, uh, that person said it came to them during a Kundalini meditation and this great goddess had come to them in the meditation and had told them that Stonehenge was a place for the Anunnaki. Okay. So, I, you know, I do meditation and stuff like that, but I've never had uh, a goddess show up well. and tell me, tell me anything that cool. So maybe I just haven't <laughs> meditated hard enough. Right, or or maybe it's just not not time yet. Right, it's not it's not my time for you to know to get that. But Stonehenge, I mean, the great mystery was it built by aliens? Maybe, <laughs> but uh, who built it I, and why? I'd like to think I'd like to think that it's uh, the triumph of human ingenuity five thousand years ago that they could put something yeah. together. And I really love the idea of Stonehenge being the place where ancient Britons came to party um, on the winter solstice and the summer solstice. And so they camped out, uh, they feasted, they played songs. I, I don't even know what kind of instruments they'd have back then, probably banging on stones. Who knows? Yeah. But it's pretty cool. It's kind of like kind of like the World's Fair um, sites. That still yeah. exist, like pieces of them exist around. I mean, obviously those are much more modern, but right, right. this is kind of like the ancient version of that, and it's just robust enough to to withstand so many years. Yeah, and 
I think it's fun to imagine Stonehenge as a place where everybody just used to get together and celebrate and maybe, you know, say goodbye to their ancestors and, and things like that. So not rocks that kill people come to life and kill people. But I also love the idea that there might be a couple of those rocks that are aliens that might come to life and kill you during that party. <laughs> Super. So if you think we missed one of your favorite references to Stonehenge, because it's in a thousand different books, movies, TV, songs, whatever. Or if you have any theories of your own yeah. as to what it is or who built it or why. Or if you visited it and had a different experience than Wendy's, than Wendy's disappointing one. <laughs> yes. Then what you should do is send us an email to show at othersidepodcast.com or you can reply underneath the show notes on the blog and we'll definitely attend to that in a future episode. That's right. But until then, I think I want to hear a song with some Stonehenge influence. Me too. Let's go. Let's kick it out. Magic, and we'll get 
for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side.